G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Sometimes we come to the realisation that our lives, well, maybe they're not quite where they're meant to be. Maybe, actually, things are in a bit of a mess. And so often, there's a reason for that. It's about image, the false images, the mirages that we've been chasing after. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to take a close look at your hopes and dreams, your aspirations for the future, to make sure that you're focusing on all that God has for you. So let's head into God's Word, and please do stay tuned, because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you grow closer to Jesus and to live in the victory that He died and rose again to give you. Image is a big thing in the world in which we live. People worry an awful lot about their image. We express who we want the world to think we are through the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, how we speak, walk, the restaurants we eat in. The list goes on. new restaurant was opened recently near where I live, and let me tell you, it's a very expensive place to eat. People go there to be seen. It's the cool place to hang out. It's all about image. And companies, companies spend a lot of money on image. They tend to call it branding, but again, it's about constructing an image in our heads that we really like, an image that will cause us to buy from them. Think of all the big clothing labels, for instance. A lot of their advertising isn't so much about selling us this product or that. It's about growing and reinforcing their brand image in our heads so that when we are ready to buy, we'll buy our clothes from them. Image is a big deal in this world. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing new in that. We've spent the last couple of weeks talking about the fact that we, you and I, have been made in God's image. In fact, do a search in the Bible on image and we discover that image is a huge, huge thing to God too, but from a slightly different perspective. Before we dive in and take a look at what image means to God and and why he sees it as being such an important thing in our lives, let's ask ourselves what an image is, because knowing that really helps us understand God's perspective on image. Really. So so let me ask you, what exactly is an image? Well, an image is when we use one thing to represent another in such a way that people see it and it impacts them. A logo is a good example. The moment you see perhaps the most recognised logo on the planet, the Coca-Cola logo, what springs to mind? Coca-Cola. The moment you see the golden arches, what springs to mind? McDonald's, right? An image is a powerful representation of something else. And so it's not rocket science to figure out that if an image can have such a powerful influence over our behaviour, it can be either a good thing or an incredibly bad thing. Images can influence us positively or negatively. There's mounting evidence that imagery in violent computer games is impacting at least some young people in an incredibly negative way. There's a reason why they use images of happy, well-balanced families having breakfast to sell us everything from orange juice to muesli to to margarine. There's a reason they use young women in bikinis to sell holidays in the sun. 
There's a reason why Apple is so careful about the design, not only of its products, but of the packaging it comes in. It's all about image. And images are influencers. Let me say that again because it's a powerful truth. Images are influencers. We get a strong hint on the role and the power of an image from the New Testament of the Bible where the original Greek word that we translate into the English word image is the word icon. We all know what an icon is. It's a representation of something big through something small. Now, how seriously does God take image? So seriously that the first two of the Ten Commandments are based on the right and wrong use of images. Have a listen to this. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, the word idol literally means image. You shall not make an image of anything in the form or in the likeness of anything in the sky or on the earth or under the ocean. Why? Because God knows that images are influences. And before we know it, we're bowing down and worshipping the image instead of our God. Not only will you not make for yourself an idol or an image, says God, but you will not bow down and worship it. How easy is it to idolise an image? How easy is it to idolise a look, a brand, a style of clothing, a restaurant scene, a brand of car, of shoes? In fact, almost a natural thing to do, isn't it? Because images are designed to be seductive and they seduce us away from God. When Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, what were the Israelites doing down in the valley? They broke the first two commandments. They gathered together gold, melted it down, created a golden calf, an image, an icon, an idol. Is it a coincidence that each of those starts with I, I, I? And they worshipped it. So what was God's take on all that? Well, this is how Moses recounts what God said to him. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Get up and go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. They have cast an image for themselves. God knows the moment we chase after other images, we end up with a distorted image. We worship the wrong image and our self-image becomes distorted and then marred and then almost completely unrecognisable. You and I, we were made in the image of God, the embargo day, as they say. We are icons of God. We are in small what he is in large. And his plan is for us to have the real thing. His plan is for us to know his love. But you and I are so often seduced away by the images of this world. You and I so often become like the Israelites. Recognize, they had to sacrifice their own gold, their rings, their jewelry, to make this false image of the golden calf. And in a sense, that's exactly what we end up doing. Sacrificing the most precious things of life to chase after false images. Let me say it again. The reason this is so dangerous is because images are influences. They become idols. They supplant God from the number one position in our lives. And that ends up ruining our lives. It breaks the most important link of all, the link between us and the one in whose image we've been created. And when we worship those false images, false idols of money, success, position, brand, whatever our golden calf happens to be, 
we end up being remade in the image of that false idol. You see, that's what mars us. That's what scars us. That's what makes the original image, the image of God in our lives, unrecognisable. And that right there is the central problem, the central malady, the central disease of humanity. Forsaking the God in whose image we've been made and remaking ourselves in a false image. I'm going to talk some more about that after the break, because as it turned out, it was still going on centuries later, as we'll see again in the Apostle Paul's account. And truthfully, tragically, it's still going on here and now, a few thousand years on after Paul, ruining many a life, robbing many a man and woman and child of all that God has planned for them. It's truly tragic. But God, God has an awesome plan. Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. Completely up to you. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1300 722 so go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word and grow to live in the victory that he died and rose again to give you. Now, in an increasingly superficial world, image is everything. And yet as we chase after the carefully constructed, albeit entirely false images of success that this world offers, what we discover, paradoxically, is that our self-image becomes incredibly distorted, marred, almost unrecognisable. Now, before the break, we were chatting about the importance of the images in life that we chase after in determining whether you and I have a healthy self-image or a distorted self-image. The majority of people on this planet have a distorted self-image, truly. The arguments, the conflict, the fear, the, the misguided lives that are being led, much if not all of that finds its genesis in a complete misunderstanding of who we are, whose image we're made in, and what our identity is. Images, as we saw, are influences, and a brand, an ideal, a lifestyle, whatever it is, all comes with seductive imagery before long, as we're chasing after these elusive images through which we're seeking to define ourselves, isn't that the truth? We end up with a distorted self-image. I was listening to a man, rather a wealthy man, a God-fearing man. He was speaking about himself recently, and he said a few years ago he realised that even though he believed in Jesus, he ended up defining himself through his wealth, through his big house, through his flashy car. And so what he decided to do, just listen to this, is he decided to sell his company for rather a lot of money and make a full-time job of using his resources to support and fund God's work around the world. 
That, as it turned out, was much more satisfying than trying to live a life chasing false images which lead only to a distorted image of ourselves. And that's the crux of what we've been chatting about so far in this series of messages that I've called Meet the New Me. The old me, the me that that chases after false images of success, the me that bows down to false idols, can never be satisfied, will, will always be marred, because that old me was missing the whole point of life. For one, made as we are, in the image of God. The only place of satisfaction is, in fact, when we connect back into the one whose image we bear. The Apostle Paul, having been run out of a few towns for telling people about Jesus back in the first century, finds himself in Athens, a place full of false images, false idols that people were worshipping, and rather than being repulsed by it, his heart aches for these people. Acts chapter 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he goes and he, and he tells people about Jesus, argues with them both on an intellectual and philosophical plane, and then more deeply in the heart knowledge of who they are and what God has planned for them. As he's wandered through the streets of Athens, he's come across one idol, one image that's labelled to the unknown God. And it's about this unknown God that he now goes and tells them. Have a listen to this. I'm reading from the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 17, beginning at verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, what Paul does here, is he reaches into their culture of idol worship, this worship that's reflecting a search for someone or something to worship, a built-in impulse that we all seem to have, and says, I I realise you're looking for God. I know that. But here's the mistake you're making. The real God created everything, the whole shooting match. And so he doesn't live in a little shrine as though he's made by us. He's not a man-made image. In fact, it's the other way around, folks. We are made in his image. We are his offspring. We are descended from him. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. And there's a reason that he made things that way, a very specific reason why he made us. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from any of us. So here it is. 
The Athenians had a distorted image of themselves and of the world because they had the idea of worship completely 180 degrees the wrong way round. They thought that what you did is you made something with your own hands, an image, an idol, and that's what you worshipped. We're still doing that today, aren't we? But Paul says, you know, deep down inside we're all searching for this unknown God and he's the God in whose image we've been made. He made us with the purpose of finding him and connecting with him and knowing who we are in him. It's time to come and discover this God, the one true God, the one God who can and does deliver on his promises of a resurrection from the dead and an eternal life that starts the moment we put our faith in this one man, Jesus Christ, his son. Here's the staggering thing. People were getting this wrong 1,500 years before Paul in Moses' day when they made and worshipped that golden calf. They kept on getting it wrong right through until the first century AD. That's a millennium and a half later. And here we are another 2,000 years on, another two millennia on, and we still think we can get satisfaction and find our place in this earth by creating images, icons, idols, with our own hands, and then sacrificing our lives to them. And then we wonder why things aren't going so well, when all along God's speaking the truth to us. But are we listening? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23, The fear of the Lord is life indeed. Filled with it, one rests secure and suffers no harm. You know what's exciting about all this? The Athenians had things completely wrong, and yet God, in his grace, sent Paul to tell them the truth. Of course, not all of them listened. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be unpacking this same truth because God wants each one of us to know who we are in his image, to realize our sin and what he's done to deal with that and then to discover the new man or the new woman, the new me, that God will make possible through Jesus Christ, his son. I guess, I guess that's why they call it the good news. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. Jesus died so that all your sins could be forgiven, and he rose again to give you a brand new life to live here and now and for the rest of eternity. And he actually means you to lay hold of that life, to to live that life. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called Your Complete Makeover Awaits. It's full of life-changing practical Bible teaching to help you live out this new life that Jesus came to give you. And at the end of each chapter, you'll actually find a series of life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. To request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and I'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Now, in the few minutes that we have left together today, I just feel led to challenge you. Most of us, well, we don't like to be challenged. But God has some really strong things to say about distorted images, about chasing after the wrong things in our lives. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't share that with you. Well, 
As, as you've been listening today, hearing about what God has to say on, on who we are, made as we are in his image, and, and the way in which that image has been distorted, I wonder... I wonder what you've been thinking about how this might apply to your own life. Because this isn't a theory lesson. This is not about someone else. This is about you. This is about me. I wonder, have you been getting that sense that that God's trying to deal with some of the false images, the man-made images that you may have been worshipping? Now, some people might find that assertion a bit on the direct side, a bit in your face. But can I tell you, I am constantly being challenged by God about the images that are trying to seduce me into this world. Near where I live, we have a car dealer. They sell new cars, a really upmarket brand. In fact, I used to own one of these cars many years ago when I wasn't in ministry, when I was in business and I had the money to own them. And, and I constantly walk past their front window and I look in at the latest model. They are so sleek. They are so shiny. They are so upmarket. The showroom is so crisp. You know, I just think back to when I had more money and, and I had my IT career and, and I had all this stuff and... And now I'm in ministry, and and I used to drive one of them, but I can't now. And so often I walk past, and I find myself wishing I still had one, thinking about how I might buy one. Can I I tell you how how plainly ridiculous that idea is on my ministry salary? I might as well wish that I could flap my wings and, and, and fly to the moon. But in any case, even if I had that sort of money, wouldn't it be better keeping my much smaller, cheaper, less impressive, but perfectly good car that I have now, and using that money for God's purposes? Do you see how easy it is to be seduced by images? I'm just being honest here. I'm being blunt here. You know, so often we want to sweep this stuff under the carpet. So often we want to pretend that somehow we're super spiritual and holier than thou and, and none of this stuff affects us. Come on, that is complete rubbish. You and I are human. You and I have flesh. Nothing good in and of itself dwells in that flesh. That's what the Bible tells us. And you and I are all susceptible to the seduction of these images. Do you see how easy it is to be seduced by images? And sometimes we're drawn away by things that that we're doing on God's behalf. I'm always taken by this particular passage of Scripture, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 1, beginning verse 16. And I'll utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness in forsaking me, for they have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. You know what? The easiest thing in the world to do is to work hard at something for God. Like, like I guess, what I do in ministry. Like, I guess, the things that you may do on behalf of God. And before you know it, that thing we're working on, ostensibly for God, becomes more important than God himself. Can I tell you how many people I have seen laboring away at something in a church? And you know when God's into something and it's blessing people and it's anointed by God and it's all going well, but everything has its time, everything has its conclusion, everything has its end. I have seen people hang on to ministries and programs and and things that they do and organs that they play or whatever it is beyond the time when God was finished with it. And it's terrible. You can see that the, the, the thing that they are doing is the image in which they're recreating themselves. And the thing that they're supposed to be doing for God has in fact become far more important to God because if it wasn't more important than God, they'd be listening to God and saying, you know what, it's time for this to be over. We can work so hard that we lose sight of the fact that the thing we're working on has become more important in our hearts than God himself. We spend more time on that than in prayer with the Lord. The test for me is always, if the Lord made me give it up, if he came to me and said, Bernie, it's time for you to finish up at Christianity Works, how easy or difficult would that be for me to do? 
Have I started to worship the work of my own hands? Do you see how easily we allow things, images of success, even if that's success in the kingdom of God, rise up and put themselves above and ahead of the Lord our God in the pecking order that we've established in our hearts? That's a couple of examples from my life. Let me ask you something. What are the images in your life that could so easily supplant Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? What are the aspirations, the hopes, the dreams, the things that you would struggle to lay down and set aside if that's what God wanted you to do? Because if there are some in particular that you know that you're struggling with, it's time. It's time to take them to the Lord and to lay them down. As I'm praying for the ministry of Christianity Works, I will often say to God, Lord, I love what I'm doing here with you and for you, but if and when my time is up, please let me know, because I never, ever want to stay doing something that's no longer in your will. That is not an easy prayer for me to pray. Can I tell you? I love doing what I do for God. It is not an easy prayer to pray. But here's the question, here's the crux. Does God come first or not? Another example, I had a house that I once owned, and I really, really loved that house. And I prayed often that when the time came, the Lord would give me the courage to give it up. Well, you know something? The time did come. And giving it up simply wasn't a problem. God was gracious. When we submit these images, these things that could so easily become idols in our lives, these things that we like so much that we could so easily end up worshipping ahead of God, if we constantly submit those to Him in prayer, His Spirit works in us so that our hearts bow down willingly to his will, to his plans, to his purposes. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to lay hold of the new life that Jesus died and rose again to give them, to live out that new life in all its abundance. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give toward the Ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach almost 3,000 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1300 722 415. And when you do get in touch, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet I mentioned earlier. It's called Your Complete Makeover Awaits. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll free on 1300 722 415. Thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. And I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.